Turn this one off. There we go. Hey, I just wanted to mention to you, Westgate Productions, that whole idea, um, the youth did that. So that was their um, gift to us as we begin a, a series. And we're beginning the series called Utmost Priority. And you as a church have said this, and we uh, are going to step fully into this. These are priorities we're going to uh, move into, which is reach the community with the gospel, reach our community, um, to embrace and empower the emerging generation. And then there will be a message called Let's Do This Together, this idea that no matter who you are, where you come from, what age you are, whether you're zero years of age or a 100 years of age, you're important to be a part of this. You are valued. And so I just want to stop and say we had a 100-year-old birthday yesterday, Harry Titcomb. Harry, are you, I'm, are you here, Harry? I, he was here. We celebrated that as a church family, and we're so excited about the gifts that he has brought to this body, teaching and other things through the years. So, Harry, God bless you. Um, I'm going to ask at this point for uh, Becca, who is our youth pastor, to come. She's a part of our teaching team, and I have given a message already on this idea of embrace and empower uh, the young generations. In fact, they did a, a series on it, but I thought this would be great to have Becca, where are you, Becca, <laughs> um, share uh, scripture about this, and then uh, a little bit later, our young adult pastor uh, with some of our young adults will be coming up, and so Garrett will be coming up. Becca, we're thrilled that you are part of this body Thank and you. for the gifts you've got. Thanks. Thanks. Well, good morning, everyone. As Kevin mentioned, I'm the youth pastor here, and so typically when I'm speaking, I'm speaking with middle school or high school students, uh, but it is such a joy and honor to be able to share with you today. Um, and as Kevin mentioned, we are in this series starting today of utmost important, of utmost priority, and I get to speak about the priority embracing and empowering the emerging generations, which is really fun for me because I work with students, but I'm also kind of on the other end of the spectrum as a young adult myself. And so I am just super excited to be able to share some of my heart when it comes to this topic, but also more importantly, God's word and why I think he is passionate about the emerging generations. And today we're going to be looking at the story of David charging Solomon, his son, in building the temple. But before we get started, let me pray for our time together. Father, I just thank you for today. I thank you for the chance to come together to just worship you, glorify you, God. Um, I pray that as we dig deep into your word today and think about what it looks like to reach the emerging generations, that you would just soften our hearts, that you would speak to us, God, that we would have ears to hear and hearts to listen and hands and feet that would move in the direction you want us to go. So I pray uh, over this time, God, that you would just use it to transform us. And in your precious name we pray. Amen. So how many of you have a young person in your life? So child through young adult, we'll say. Whether it's a son or daughter, grandchild, maybe it's a niece or nephew or even neighbor, I think most of us have a young adult in our life. And whether you're close to them or not, they should be of utmost importance because they're not only the future of our world, but they're the future of our church. 
the future of God being at work in our world. So it's fitting that embracing and empowering the emerging generations was one of the priorities that came up when many of you in this room took a survey a while back. So hopefully most of you feel like this is something we should be talking about, but some of you might be wondering, why is this actually that important? Why should we be focusing on this as a church? Well, we're going to dig into some of the scriptural reasons in a minute here, but before we do that, I thought it would be really relevant and critical for us to look at some data when it comes to the reality of the state of young people in the world and in the church today. A study done by Barna Research has shown that nearly two-thirds of U.S. 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up in church have withdrawn from the church involvement as an adult after having been involved as a child or teen. And this is an increase from just a few years ago. You'll see this graphic pop up here. As you can see, this has increased from 59% in 2011 to 64% in 2019. Barner's research also found that the emerging generation is less likely to see church as important, and with those that hold this belief, 59% admit that church is not relevant to them personally, 48% that they find God elsewhere, and 28% say that I can teach myself what I need to know. And a last interesting and really important piece of data I wanted to share is this visual which shows the percentage of young people, which in this study were 18 to 29-year-olds who grew up as Christians, that are in these four categories that Barna is terming four kinds of exiles. And as you can see, 22% are considered prodigals or ex-Christians, no longer part of the Christian faith. 30% are nomads or lapsed Christians. Those are people that are kind of wandering in their faith, not really finding a place. 38% are habitual churchgoers. They go to church on Sundays. But only 1 in 10, 10%, are resilient disciples. And Barna uses this term resilient disciple to mean young adults who have made a commitment to Jesus, who they believe was crucified and raised to conquer sin and death, are involved in a faith community beyond attendance at worship services, and strongly affirm that the Bible is inspired by God and contains truth about the world. So basically, resilient disciples are young people who are not shaken in their faith, even when tested, and are resiliently following Jesus in the world we live in. So why is this all important for us to know? Well, I don't know about you, but those stats make me sad. They make me sad that only one in ten young adults are resilient disciples, but there is hope. We have the chance as a church community to create space for young people to feel embraced in a way that maybe they've never felt before. And we have a chance to empower them to move towards becoming a resilient disciple of Jesus. And God has called us to be a part of that change in our world, in our culture, and now we have to decide to take that call seriously. But what does it mean to embrace and empower the emerging generations? Those are kind of buzzwords, right? Well, I think it's important for us to define what these terms mean. Embrace means to accept or support willingly and enthusiastically. And empower means to give someone the authority or power to do something. So before we go any further, I want you to ask yourself, do I enthusiastically 
accept, and support those in the emerging generations? And how do I feel about giving them power and authority in our church? Because that's the call that we have decided to pursue as a church. And as Kevin's going to talk about in a few weeks, it's going to take all of us. We're going to have to do this together to make it happen. So I hope at this point you resonate why this is important and what this means. But let's be honest, how do we actually do that? That's what I want to spend the majority of our time talking about today. And there's a story in scripture that I mentioned that I think we can learn a lot from when it comes to embracing and empowering the emerging generations. And that is the story of David commissioning his son Solomon to build the temple. Now many of you know that David was a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect, right? He committed some pretty serious and awful sins, but he was repentant. And we see in scripture through the Old Testament to his prayers and songs in the Psalms that he was a man that wanted to honor and love God. Well, one of his many sons that he had was named Solomon. And so at the end of David's life, David officially appoints Solomon to become king, to take the throne. So we pick up this story as David makes an important request of him. And we're going to hop around a little bit today, but if you want to follow along, we'll mainly be looking at 1 Chronicles 22. This is verses 6 through 10. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. David said to Solomon, My son, I had it in my heart to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. But this word of the Lord came to me. You have shed much blood and have fought many wars. You are not to build a house for my name because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace and rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies on every side. His name will be Solomon and I will grant Israel peace and quiet during his reign. He is the one who will build a house for my name. He will be my son and I will be his father and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. So we see here that David tells his son that he had this desire to build the temple for God himself. And it was a good desire, right? It came out of a place of wanting to honor God, but God told him no. God told him he was going to instead have his descendant Solomon, his son Solomon, build it. And I want to ask you all a question. How many of you have, you don't have to raise your hand, have desired to do something, but God called someone else to do it instead? Maybe it was a timing issue. It just wasn't the right time for you to step into that. Maybe someone was actually better gifted to do it. Or maybe God was trying to teach you to let go of some of your control and let someone else take on something you could have done yourself. When I was about halfway through my high school years, um, my youth pastor Josh at the time became a huge influence and mentor in my life. And at that point in time, I had rededicated my life to the Lord, and I felt this call to go into ministry as a career. But I wasn't sure exactly what that would look like or where exactly God would lead me. Um, but one day, my, my youth pastor asked me if I would give a youth group message. Now, it might not seem like it now because I'm up here in front of you today speaking, but at the time, I was very shy and public speaking was about the last thing that I wanted to do. So I said, no, I'm not going to do that. But he kept kind of prodding me and encouraging me to take a step of faith and just try it. So I finally agreed. 
And so I prepared and I prepared and I gave this message at youth group and it was actually super life-giving. I loved it, which was really weird because any type of public speaking communication in uh, class, at school was like, again, I, I hated it. So the fact that this was something that I actually enjoyed was amazing. Because while I was sharing, it just felt like I was doing something that God created me to do. But even so, when I look back, let me tell you, I know my peers, that was not the best message that they had ever heard, all right? And I also know that my youth pastor could have done a way better job at communicating than I did. But he was willing to give me some of that leadership and authority and let me take the reins for that time. And that was just one of many moments to come that led me to go into youth ministry. And I share that because just like my youth pastor and just like David, we need to realize that embracing and empowering the emerging generations requires our transfer of power and authority. As we already defined empower, it, it means to give someone authority or power to do something. And that's what we see David do here, all right? He gives his son Solomon the authority to do this task of building the temple, which was a really... What might you be hanging on to that Jesus is calling you to let go of? Are you looking for someone to hand off and give the baton to? We need to be willing and intentional about giving the baton to those in the next generation. And the awesome part is this will actually benefit the whole team, the whole church, if we give them that ownership. But even while we need to be willing to let go of some of our authority and power, we still need to be a resource to come alongside them. We don't just hand them the baton and then completely disappear from the scene. While David gave the charge of building the temple to Solomon, he still came alongside him by giving him clear instructions and practical resources. In 1 Chronicles 22, 1 through 4 and 14 to 16, it says this. Then David said, The house of the Lord God is to be here, and also the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David gave orders to assemble the foreigners residing in Israel, and from among them, he appointed stone cutters to prepare dressed stone for building the house of God. He provided a large amount of iron to make nails for the doors of the gateways and for the fittings, and more bronze than could be weighed. He also provided more cedar logs than could be counted, for the Sidonians and Tyrians had brought large numbers of them to David. I have taken great pains to provide for the temple of the Lord a hundred thousand talents of gold, a million talents of silver, quantities of bronze and iron too great to be weighed, and wood and stone. And you may add to them. You have many workers, stone cutters, masons, and carpenters, as well as those skilled in every kind of work, in gold and silver, bronze and iron, craftsmen beyond number. Now begin the work, and the Lord be with you. The tricky but beautiful thing about empowering the next generation to take on leadership in the church is that often God still calls us to make sacrifices to make it happen. Even if we aren't the ones at the forefront, the ones getting recognized, God may call us to give of our time or resources in order to equip and empower young people. David had the heart to build the temple, but even though God told him he wouldn't be able to do it himself, 
he was still willing to give all of these resources to help his son do this. And it says in verse 14, it says he took great pains to provide these things. So I want to ask you, what are you willing to sacrifice? Willing to go great, to make great pains to help embrace and empower. Many of you know the great pains of giving birth. Many of you know the great pains of raising a young one who just is full of energy and doesn't listen. What great pains will you go to to embrace and empower? Because here's the truth. Embracing and empowering the emerging generations requires our sacrifice. God is asking us to offer something in order to embrace and empower. So what will that look like for you? Maybe it's your time. Maybe God is calling you, you have a young person in in your life, and he's calling you to just mentor them. Or maybe he's calling you to be a regular youth volunteer, which, if you're interested, please come talk to me. Or maybe it's as simple as talking to a young person after the service and just getting to know them a little more and show them that they're valuable. Or maybe it's your resources. Maybe, I don't know what kind of resources you all have, but maybe you have some sort of resource that you could give a young person to help them fulfill their purpose in their career or in their life or in the church. Or, maybe one of the hardest things, God is calling you to offer up and set aside your personal preferences. Like style of clothes or music or seeing the way that the emerging generations does something that you just don't like or you don't understand. Maybe it's putting those things aside so that they may experience Jesus and be empowered to lead in our church. Because church, we should be less concerned about our preferences and more concerned about not creating any barriers for the next generation to know and follow Jesus. I don't know what exactly God might be calling you to offer but be willing to be used by him, even if it comes at a cost. Another truth I think this story reveals is that embracing and empowering the emerging generations requires our example. When David charges Solomon with building the temple, he not only gives him these resources and instructions and transfer of authority, but he also challenges him in following his example of what it looks like to follow the Lord. A few chapters later, in 1 Chronicles 28, David says this, verses 9 through 10. And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Consider now, for the Lord has chosen you to build a house as the sanctuary. Be strong and do the work. David was able to empower his son because he could share with him his own stories of faith, of failures, of examples of what it looked like to follow after God. He knew from experience, as it says here, that if Solomon were to seek God, he would find him. So what would it look like for you to be that example to a young person? Now, you may not think that you're young enough or hip enough or cool enough, to be able to pour into someone in that generation. But I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. And I have visual proof. If you take a look here at our team of youth volunteers from this last year, you can see that we have quite a few young adults helping. But we also have some, I'm not going to give away their age, 
but we have some that are a little bit older, a little bit older than um, young adult age helping with our students. And you can see we, we have a lot of fun together. But I want you to know that if you love Jesus and you take an interest in young people, God will equip you to be an example of a faithful disciple in their life. I've heard from many of my peers that go to churches that are only young adults, that although they like being a community with people like them, they miss and they long for multi-generational relationships. We're missing the fullness of the beauty of the family of God when we are so separated in our life stages. And I get it. It's sometimes really nice to be with people that get you and are going through the same things as you, and there's a time and space for that, but we need one another. And young people are longing for caring adults to come into their life, to mentor them, to come alongside them, and show them what it looks like to be a resilient disciple. And I want to be clear about one thing. They are not looking for perfection, Relationship over perfection is key here. They don't need a perfect example. They just need a willing example. Someone who loves the Lord and is interested and willing to pour into their life in a real way. Which brings me to the last thing. Embracing and empowering the emerging generations requires our empathy and encouragement. As much as the younger generation needs you to come alongside them so they can learn from you, they also need you to learn from them. And the first way you can do this is by being a person of empathy, which basically means having the ability and willingness to enter into the feelings of another. We need to give young people the permission to share their feelings, their joys, their sorrows, their struggles, their perspective with the security of knowing that they will not be judged. Instead of starting off a conversation with, well, back in my day, or when I was your age, which I know I'm not that old, but I've even done that. (laughs) Try instead to listen first. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. But we often get this backwards. So do your best to listen first. Ask questions about why they do the things they do, or what they believe, or what's important to them. As Kara Powell and other leaders of the Fuller Youth Institute write in their book, Growing Young, all young people are trying to answer these three questions. Who am I? Where do I fit? And what difference do I make? And we have the opportunity to walk alongside them, to listen to those struggles and and those questions, empathize with them, and point them to Jesus as the answer to all three of those questions. Which, important sidebar, if you are a young person in this room, or any age person for that matter, and you're wrestling with those questions or other questions, and you haven't fully experienced the good news that Jesus brought by dying on the cross for you in order to save you and call you to a greater purpose, I would invite you to give him that chance today. Maybe today's the day that you acknowledge you're lost and you need him to come into your heart and in your life because he will meet you where you are. You were created on purpose, for a purpose, and there is no greater purpose than finding fulfillment in him. So, we need to empathize and encourage the emerging generations. Oh, sorry, we need to empathize with them, but we also need to encourage them. Now, encouraging a young person doesn't 
mean necessarily that you're telling them what to do. But what it means is that you are cheering them on. You're cheering them on and you're offering to help when they might need it. In the case of Solomon, if you continue to follow his story and his life, you'll see that he did a great job at following the Lord at the beginning of his reign, but by the end, it was quite a different story. He abandoned God's ways, he started worshiping other gods, and he did not do what was honoring to God. It says in 1 Kings 11.9, The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. Here's the thing. When we empower young people, it is not our job to walk their walk of faith for them. We can and we should come alongside them, be intentional with them, but they will ultimately have to choose personally who they're going to follow and how they're going to live. But we are called to be a place of encouragement, a safe place for them to come with their questions and even doubts. But they're going to have to make their own decision. Going back to the relay analogy, when we give someone the baton, we should be showing them our example. We should be cheering them on and encouraging them and pointing them back to the living water that is Christ. But they have to run that race themselves. As Garrett comes up in a minute here with some of our young adults, I hope that the story of David commissioning his son to build the temple And what we can learn from it resonates with you. I'm hopeful and I'm excited for how God is going to use us to reach and impact the young people in our church and out of our church. So let's take our call to live as examples, to sacrifice, to transfer our power and authority, to empathize with and encourage these emerging generations seriously. Amen? Awesome. That was so good. Thank you, Becca. I just want to repeat something you said. It's just, it's so good. Know that if you love Jesus and you take an interest in young people, God will equip you to be an example of a faithful disciple in their life. It's a really good word. So my name's Garrett. I'm the pastor of the young adult ministry here. Do we have any young adults present? All right. Uh, I used to be a young adult myself. Um, I just graduated into middle age adulthood this week, actually. Uh, I, uh, unfortunately I had to trim a single out of control ear hair, which I'm almost positive is like the, the point where you move into middle agehood. So anyway, um, so I've got that going for me, which is real nice. So millennials, millennials make up uh, almost a third of the world population right now. And 75% of millennials claim to be spiritual, but non-religious. There seems to be this notion that millennials and Gen Z um, don't value or believe in spiritual things. And that's just not true. I've got some examples for you. Ask a young person, a non-believing young person in your life about vibes. Vibes. What's a vibe, you may ask? I have no idea. But they're kind of spiritual in a way. They're invisible. 
they're felt, but they're not tangible. And you can share them from person to person. All right. Here's another example. Um, you talk to a young person who opposes Christianity. You ask them about angels and demons. They'll probably laugh at you. They'll probably label you as a religious nutcase. But if you ask that same person about ghosts, you're probably going to enter into a very interesting conversation about spiritual beings, supernatural beings, supernatural experiences that they've had. So do you kind of see where I'm, where I'm going with this? There are ways that we as individuals and as a church can learn to bend without breaking in order to reach the lost. So I want to share a passage with you real quick. You may recognize this passage from kind of the more direct translation when Paul is saying, um, to the Jew, I will act like a Jew. To the person under the law, I'll act like a person under the law. But I want to share uh, the message version. I just love the way that Paul's point is framed in this. So 1 Corinthians nine nineteen through 23. Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I have become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did this all because of the message. So church, we have a lot of work to do to reach the lost and hurting young adults in our community, but the good news is we've got a great head start. Why is that a free or Westgate has already empowered a lot of young adults by placing them in staff positions. Um, just in this last year, we've had a lot of young adults uh, embraced in leadership positions on our teams and committees for our volunteer teams. And above that, we have a great young adult community that is calling this place home. So with that said, I want to invite Sam and the newlyweds, Chase and Ashley. <clears throat> Grab the mic. Yeah. So, got some questions for you guys. And before I start, I just want to give you guys some recognition. These guys are game-changing leaders, and they've really helped develop the young adult ministry over the last two years. So, thank you guys. <laughs> Sam, we'll start with you. Uh, what challenges do you think are unique for today's Christian young adults? Wow, that is a, that's a good question, because I think, in my mind, I'll, I'll kind of touch on two of them that I, that I really think are, are true for when I kind of experience other young adults and hear their stories. Um, culture and comfort, I'll call them. So culture, there's this little tiny thing that I think every one of us have, or maybe you know of someone who has, it's, it's this little uh, very tiny rectangle that, that gives people an access to, you know, whatever they may want in their life. I mean, I don't know how, there's so many young adults in my life that are just on this phone for maybe six to eight hours a day, just scrolling mindlessly, going, you know, wherever their, their kind of the desires of their heart are. And we have a culture right now that has apps for everything, that has convenience for whenever you want something, you can have it right away on this phone. Um, 
it, it really is kind of a, a sucking environment where if you don't find that root, if you don't find that anchor in who you are and whose you are, then the culture can have a way of kind of like with, with the wind in the waves taking you wherever it wants to go. And I find that a lot of people um, in my life that are not, not believers, that are really just struggling with who they are, um, fall under that trap of what does culture think? What, what do I need to do to be those questions that Becca asked of who I, who am I? What difference do I make? Um, that's a really, it, it gets kind of in a trap for, for them. And then I'll say on comfort too, it, it kind of piggybacks off that where so often we feel um, as young adults, maybe that we're comfortable. We're comfortable in a job. We're comfortable in our social group. We're comfortable in the place that we live. We're comfortable in all these spaces. Um, but we're not called to live as Christians in just a comfortable life. We're called to to pick up our cross daily and to follow Jesus. And that that takes sacrifice. That takes the ability to say, hey, I'm going to put my personal desires away for a minute. And I'm going to focus on what the Lord is calling me to do. And maybe it's just have a conversation with with your neighbor, with uh, with someone down the street. It's make, Maybe it's making a meal for someone. It could just be connecting with them in a way you haven't before. Um, that's a, a cool way that I've I've experienced in my life, but also seen challenges where if people are saying, "Yeah, well, I'm okay just being with myself," that that can be a trap too in, in that lens. So those are the two biggest ones that that I think I see um, in my life. Awesome, thanks, Sam. Chase, in what ways will millennials and Gen Z change the way church looks and operates? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think about it in two ways. One is I see a I see a big divergence that's already happened. Uh and I it's hard to underestimate understate how important this is. For the first time in our history, we've had uh knowledge has been commoditized. And what that means for our church is that anyone can get really high quality theological teaching at any time. So our churches in the future won't be we can't differentiate ourselves based on our sermons because we can get very high-quality teaching anywhere, anytime, and that won't draw people in. But what's great is that what is differentiated and what is value is what do we focus on today. So pastors, pastors as shepherds I see valuable in the future. Uh, and what the generation wants, as as Sam said, like someone who can just r- give them a root to like grab onto, someone to be stable. And the other piece is uh, is relational connection. And so, give, having the church be a place where people can truly connect and grow with each other in their faith. And the the last piece that I think will be really. Uh, will be really great is just this, the church I see as a structure to say we have an ecosystem that equips people to connect with each other. So that's programs that are focused on people, not on content. And I see that already in our church. And so I think that's really um, encouraging. Awesome. Thank you. Ashley. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Ashley. Yeah, what do you feel that the church as a whole has struggled to remain, why they've struggled to remain relevant and important to young people over the last 10 years? Yes. Oh, this is a great question. Uh, and to sort of piggyback off of what Chase was saying about relationships, uh, to back this up with my story, I was one of those people who was not a part of the organizational church for about 10 years through high school in my early young adult years. And, uh, 
I love studying God's word. I had a great community of Christian friends around me, and so I didn't feel this need for the church. And uh, what changed was a lot of people moving out of my life and really having this craving for community and connection. And so I think that as a church body, the biggest thing that we can do to really encourage the next generation and encourage young adults to come in is the community aspect. And so it ended up being a friend that invited me back to this young adult group and was like, hey, there's a great group of people meeting. You're going to love it. And that's what made me come in. And then when I saw the authentic conversations that were happening and the discussions around God's word and what's happening in the world around me, that is what made me come and say, yes, I want to make this my church. I want to be around these people. I want to have these conversations and I want to connect with not only my generation, but the generations that are older than me, younger than me, and really put down my roots here. And so I think that the, the problem the church is facing is that we, in a lot of big churches, you go and you're just a number, and it's transactional. It's just a religious to-do list item on young adults' plates, and we don't find value in that because we are swamped in disconnection already. And so to just go to a physical place and feel like we're just attending for no reason— that is the most meaningless thing to our generation. We're just going to check out. We're like, we can do that on Facebook. We can do that on Instagram. Versus to come to a place and be seen and heard and have people look you in the eye and know your name and be able to say, hi, hello, how are you? How was your vacation? That is what's going to draw people in. And that's how we are going to reach other people when we have that strong community and that strong connection. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's really, really insightful. We thank you. We, we just are so thankful that you guys are here doing what you're doing. Um, we as a church are behind you guys. Um, we want to reach the young people in this community, and we want you guys to lead us. You guys are a big part of that. So let me just pray before we end. Thank you, Jesus, for meeting us here, for meeting us where we are. Lord, we want revival. We want to be renewed. We want your strategy to reach this community. Lord, we worship you and we recognize you as holy, holy, holy. Oh God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace as you go. Thank you.